Hey, this is Bronze and Modern Gods. I am John. That's Richard. Hey. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Well, crazy week in comic books. We're going to talk about it. A comic book cards. What? They're back? They're selling for hundreds and thousands of dollars. What? Is this craziness? Does it make sense? We're going to talk about it. We want to hear your thoughts as well. We've also got viewer mail, the 25-year rule, our underrated picks of the week. But let's get going, Richard, with the hot book of the week. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. I don't know. You and I talked about this, and it's, it's, it's you know, uh, snowing in hell or something along those lines. When X-Force number one is a hot book of the week. <laughs> I mean, there's just one thing driving this book right now, and those are the single issues with the Deadpool card. Now, right. let me take you back to 1991 when this thing came out. It came polybagged in five different versions with one of five different cards included in the poly bag. The Deadpool card came out between New Mutants 98 and X-Force number two, which is Deadpool's second appearance. The card is not Deadpool's second appearance. Please stop saying that, people. Comic books count. Cards do not count as appearances. Stop it. I know. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's all this to me is fueled by people just being bored. <laughs> They're looking for some way of finding entertainment value. And, um, you know, the whole craze about um, this card being his second appearance is obviously. Uh, refuted when you when you look at you know we're talking about comic book appearances you know his first appearance was mutant new mutants 98 his second appearance was x-force number two period this card does not count as an appearance people are referring to it as his rookie card so okay i, I can buy that it's the first time deadpool appeared appeared on a card great the deadpool card by itself in a psa graded 10.0 saw a best offer accepted this week from the original asking price of $10,000. I don't know what the best offer was, but what? I mean, okay. Uh, 10.0s of this card are apparently very tough because the printing is not centered on the vast majority of these. Oh, forgive me. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to be so snarky about this, but if you're spending $8,000 on this card, if you're spending $1,000 on this card, Richard and I reserve the right to openly mock you. <laughs> you know, spending $8,000, if I had $8,000 to spend, I would go out and buy an X-Men number one. I would not be buying one of these cards. Get a low-grade 1.5 <laughs> FF number one. Get, you know, get something that you know is a slam dunk. This is GameStop stock, you guys. Stop right. it. Uh, right. I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but as someone who managed to shop during this time, I'm here to tell you there are cases and cases and cases of this comic book out there. It had a print run of 5 million copies. The, the best example I can think of is there was an eBay sale on February 11th of 150 unopened copies of this book with the Deadpool card. That's 150 Deadpool cards included. And it sold for three thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and divide that by one hundred and fifty, um, and that's just an insane number. It now, really is. GPA on the nine point eight is you know seventy six bucks for the book by itself. The last sale was sixty nine dollars. The second print, which is gold, is actually 
the scarcer of the two if you're going to, you know, roll some dice on the book itself. But nobody cares about the book, I don't no. think. No, it's amazing. It's amazing that there's a second print of this book with a five million print run. It's it's I, I find that fascinating. It was unthinkable back then. People wanted this book. But if you look at it, there's five million copies printed and there's five different cards. That means there are a million of these Deadpool cards floating around out there. There may be uh, more. The, the urban myth from the day, you know, I was there, was that the cable card was actually the one that was shorted and there are less cable cards than any other card. Who knows if that's true? I just mm -hmm. recall that rumor. But yeah, rule of, you know, the rule of math, if there's five million, five cards, a million of these have to be Deadpool cards. Right. Now, I, I think we're going to see a lot of these come to market in the next few weeks. And I think there's going to be a major adjustment in my opinion. And it's my opinion only based on, you know, 40 years of this, sorry, is if you're first, if you strike first, you win. If you're the, that one guy who was smart enough, crazy enough, crafty enough to send that one in and get a 10.0 and put it up there for $10,000, he won. That's it. I don't think you're going to see many more winners at that level. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is definitely uh, a flipper. So uh, you have to be in early on this. You have to sell early. Do not buy this book. Sell mm -hmm. the stock that you have Please and, don't. you know, count your blessings because you are uh, you are able to unload an X-Force number one. <laughs> now, granted, let's talk about the book. Let's put the card aside for a second and because we're going to talk about cards much uh, more in depth in a few minutes. Let's talk about the book itself. There are two things to look out for for X Force number one that could kind of justify some spec on it. And number one, a large portion of the print run does suffer from some sort of printing error where there's this long book length vertical line that goes right down the front. It's like a big scratch. You might surprise yourself. Go look at your copies. You may have a couple with this huge scratch down it. Um, that makes getting this book in 9.8 a little tougher. You know, I'm not sure what percentage of the 5 million copies has this uh, scratch, but. And the know. poly bag, too. You know, it can, can account for, for rubs and um and marks just like the the miles morales the ultimate fallout 4 you had to press because the the poly bag left a nice little crease down the back cover the, another portion of the print run this is interesting was actually printed with a negative upc and by that i mean the upc for the direct version of this book had a little picture of captain america celebrating his anniversary where for some reason the uh the negatives were flipped on a portion of the print run so cap's drawing is in black and the backgrounds in white instead of vice versa the way it was supposed to be now those versions used to carry a small premium on the market back in the day i don't know if anybody remembers that so again <laughs> go through your copies and look to see if you have the negative upc and throw it up on ebay for ten thousand dollars and see what you get oh god who knows i don't know this is crazy i this whole this whole week is about craziness it is. And we, we've entered this realm, you know, we, and we predict this is what happened. You know, we've got the stimulus money hitting and we've got the, the, the surrounding people being bored and they're funneling money into the comic book hobby. And, and um, kind of indirectly, now we've seen money being funneled into the cards, the cards hobby. And it's just an insane amount of money. It's interesting that this week there was an article in Forbes 
on Forbes.com about the resurgence of collectible cards. And the quotes from collectors that they got were very interesting. It was a lot of the speculators from back in the 90s are back trying to, as we say often on this podcast, repurchase their childhood. You know, oh, I had a Jordan rookie card and I sold it and I want it back. Guilty. But guys, we, we say it every week. Be smart. Be smart. I smell it. I smell a big crash coming. Right. Don't don't go overboard. Don't go overboard because this whole Deadpool card thing is in its moment. But in six months, people won't even remember that this was a moment. You know, we will have moved on from this. Oh, I'll, re- I'll remember. <laughs> uh, no, we'll, we we. It's this is not and to me at least something to spec on. This is something to liquidate your current stock on and just move on. And um, you know, just just be careful with your money is what we're saying. I get it. You know, a lot of you guys looking at the because we do see the demographics of people who listen to the podcast. There are some analytics that we look at. A lot of you are under 30, you know, you were young then, you you weren't born then even you, you see this and you go, wow, this is cool. I don't have this. And you know, it's Richard, you've got kids. You can't tell your kids anything. If they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Right. Oh yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So we, we can be dad all day long and try to warn you guys and sit back and let you listen or make your mistakes. But we're here to tell you when this all, when this house of cards, comes uh collapsing we're we're gonna we're we're not gonna gloat we're not gonna laugh we're gonna think about it but we're not gonna do it i mean you guys ten thousand dollars for a deadpool card i know ten thousand money for a deadpool card it's your hobby spend your money to in a way that you get enjoyment we are just trying to kind of give you that um out of the rose colored glasses kind of vision of this whole thing and um, suggesting there are better ways to spend your money. I'm laughing because I just caught a, uh, a glimpse of myself on camera looking really angry. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying. To- <laughs> that's going to have to, that's going to have to be the the thumbnail for this, for this video. <laughs> I can't, I can't you guys. Yeah. I was Richard and I were there. We saw what happened. Don't be stuckered. Don't be fooled again. Uh, you know, listen to the who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, they're gonna know who the who is. All right. Well, <laughs> Google the who and be fooled again. Do that for me. This is not an investment. Straight up, it's not. Uh, this is gonna settle down. It's gonna drop off the radar, like Richard said. Richard says people will forget about it. I will not forget about it because this is one of those crazy things that you know. Superman, Death of Superman. Remember that was a $200 book, $300 book. What is it now? Uh, we see yeah. these things. It, it, 5 million copies, guys. <laughs> I think this post has been beaten to glue. Yes, I think so. So let's move on to viewer mail. You've got mail. This week, Jason Bronwell. I hope I say that right. Bronnell. Jason Bronnell writes, what are the largest complete runs you have or you are reaching for? While I'm finishing a Fantastic Four and an Amazing Spider-Man run, I also collect adventure comics. Whoa, (laughs) knowing I will never complete it. Good. I'm glad you realized that. (laughs) Which long run do you actively aim to collect to completion? Richard, go ahead. 
My longest run right now is um, Uncanny X-Men. My focus is issues 94. I have some issues before that, but that's the first uh, issue with the new, the new team all the way through 300. So I've got that whole run completed. I actually have duplicates because I'm looking to upgrade uh, books in the, in the, in the run. Um, but that's my longest run right now. I am also working on an Amazing Spider-Man run from 50 through 301. That one is going a lot slower just because the individual books are more expensive in that run. But uh, those are those are my two longest runs. Maybe in a, I have an Avenger run from 100 to three something. I can't remember. Nice. But, those are decent. Uh, not bad. Uh, Captain America, to answer the question, what runs do you have? 100 on up. I've got all of them. Now I'm working on Tales of Suspense, 58 up. And, you know, <laughs> I, 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 we talked about it the last three weeks. I don't think I need to go through it again. But, hey, if you got a 58 and a 59 in high grade, your boy's over here with some uh, with some Deadpool card cash ready to spend. <laughs> so. Yeah, and in terms of runs that I, you know, I would, you know, I'm doing the, the Spider-Man run. Uh, I am working on a very short run of of uh, Fantastic Four one through five. Nice. <laughs> then that's enough. That run alone is enough to equal all the other runs that I have uh, combined. So, but, but James, I want to talk about your Adventure Comics run. I'm curious as to what your starting point is. Is it the Legion issue? Yeah. Uh, is, Kudos I, on that run because this is yeah. so much excitement in that run. I think it's cool. Do you have the digest, you know, when it switched to digest format, let us know in the comments, let us know what runs you're working on too. Uh, let's keep this conversation going. That was a popular episode where we talked about our personal goals. I didn't think it would be, I'm glad I was uh, pleasantly surprised. So thank you guys for all the comments. Oh, speaking of personal goals, I, we had, we didn't talk about this. Oh, yeah. Earlier. Let's see it. Uh, yeah. So uh, an auction came up, for one of my ultra grails this is a book that i never expected to be uh be able to buy and the stars all aligned and i managed to buy a copy of marvel F uh, family comics number one this is the first appearance of black adam not qualified in any way it's not his first silver age or you know none of that none of that bs this is his first appearance back in 1945 so uh, yeah, just got this book in. I'm uh, giving it a light press, and then it's off to CGC next week so I can get it graded. Not necessarily to sell, just because I want to protect it, because it just terrifies me to have an 80-year-old book <laughs> just basically <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a piece of plastic. But anyway, yeah, so this is this is my, my, my Ultra Grail. I, it wasn't on my list uh, of my Grail books uh, that we talked about previously, because I never thought I'd get it, so... Uh, and if they call him Shazadam, as the they're talking about, they walk that back real quick when they saw the response. So I yeah. think you dodge that bullet. Let's talk a little bit about how you got that book because you don't have to say what you paid for it, but in my opinion, you got it for a steal. Yeah, uh, you know, we as collectors frequent the internet looking at different sites, and John had turned me onto this auction site, um, and. The auction site, the way they do these auctions is really, really crazy it's because, stressful. oh, yeah, it is very stressful. So they have they have a period of time for uh, online bidders where the online bidders will be able to bid a, a value. And I, you know, I'm always nervous about doing that because you show your hand if you bid too early. 
And then at on Saturday, a uh, couple previous Saturdays ago, they opened it up to um, to the internet and you know phone bidders. This was live bidding at that point. So I had put a cap on the book, which was my ultimate price. And there, at first, it didn't look like there was any interest in the book, and it was floating around, you know, a low number. And then all of a sudden, you saw people doing, you know, the alternate, you know, outbidding each other, and it kind of, kind of was biting my nails there. And then at the last minute, the guy, uh, the the high bidder stopped right below my high bid, so my bid was the one that actually won, um, and that was really exciting. But here's here's the here's the caveat to this whole online auction thing: be very careful that you understand the fees that are associated with bidding online, because the fees alone totaled almost. 20% of the cost of the, of the book. Tell them how much you got charged for shipping for that one book. Um, I got charged $75 for shipping for the one book. Um, <laughs> and that includes, I'm, I'm assuming it include insurance in that price because it, it, it came to you, you know, USPS priority. Um, but yeah, it was expensive shipping. It was expensive fees. It was expensive taxes. So make sure you, when you look at buying a high dollar book, that you take a look at those external costs because yeah, it, it jacked up what I thought, Oh, I'm paying this amount for it. And then I got the bill and it, they tacked on several hundred dollars. It was a shock. We cover a lot of this in our episode, uh, eBay alternatives. Make sure you go through the archive and find that. We tell you some sites to check out. We tell you the dangers and you might end up with a Marvel family. Number one. Yes. Oh, and this is a, this is this is a golden age book, which has a whole different set of rules to it than and a different grading scale than even silver age books. Yeah. So it, they they claim they don't, but there's a sliding scale at CGC when it comes to golden age. They they overlook a lot of things that on a modern book, if it had the same thing, it'd be getting a 2.0. So congratulations, Richard. I know that is a, a big one for you. So that's awesome. And I have to thank you too, John. You and our, we have our mutual friend Forrest, who was on. Uh, we we're here. I am. I aming each other during the auctions, and you guys were as excited for it as I was. So I appreciate that. That's that's half the fun of collecting. You know, is getting your friends involved. I had my devil horns on because it was getting close. And I'm like, what's another five hundred. What's another five hundred dollars, Richard? You're so close. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, don't tell yes. your wife. Don't tell your wife. All right. Speaking of craziness and bidding and things getting out of control, our main topic this week: comic book cards. Crafty or crazy? We see this resurgence of comic book non-sport collectible cards just exploding on the market. Does this make sense to you guys? Is it something you're excited about? Is it something you're sitting back with bemused uh, uh, confusement like a uh, confusement? I just made up a word. That's pretty That's cool. Nice word. I'm going to have to write that down. Uh, going back from my experience back in the day, non-sport collectible cards were uh, kind of a new thing in 1990, 1989 or so is when they started soliciting these. You had uh, both comic book companies into it. You had even people like Eclipse Comics were doing trading cards about political 
goings on called, you know, it was, they had a political card set, uh, just weird stuff going on. And the baseball card market was booming. The football card market was booming. Upper deck was the king of those cards. We sold them in our shop. I told I, that's the only way I learned about sports ball was by, uh, <laughs> by cards by selling cards. I was like, Oh yeah, Mark McGuire. He's his cards worth a lot. There you go. Um, show you how old I am. Uh, pre-steroid Mark McGuire. Ty Cobb. Yeah, his cards are really, really, yeah, really taking off. Uh, so <laughs> it was interesting when that when that sports card market got overinflated, it collapsed. And you saw card shops nationwide closing their doors. And they all kind of migrated over to comic books around 1990. That's when you saw people ordering cases of young blood number one cases of x-men number one cases of yes x-force number one <laughs> with cards included so you had this new flood in the market of non-sports collectible cards and at first they sold really well uh, to the point where marvel bought fleer because they were tired of licensing their ip to a third party and having the third party make the money so marvel bought fleer and started doing their own cards. You had some beautiful sets. The Marvel Masterworks set by Joe Jusco. Mwah, I love that. I came in a tin. I had that. I had a full run of the first Marvel Universe cards with the holograms. Those were cool. You, my opinion of this is not as harsh uh, as it is towards the Deadpool thing and the X-Force thing. I think there's something here. Because I, my personal experience, I had these cards. And then when the market crashed and they weren't worth anything, what did I do? I got rid of them. I threw them away. I donated them to Goodwill. I gave them to my nephew. I How dare you not know what was going to happen 30 years in the future? Exactly. <laughs> this market was so dead for so long that I truly do think there is a nostalgia driving this and there is a scarcity in condition for certain sets driving uh sealed cases of the 1990 marvel universe trading cards were selling for about 3500 a couple of weeks ago but they have settled down a bit to around 2500 because more people are realizing oh these are worth something now and there's more coming to the market uh -huh. but richard you know you can see the dc universe don't sleep on those right the dc universe is uh, first of all they're selling about 400 a case for the DC units for 1991. So that's, that to me is, that's, that's good money. If you happen to have them in stock yeah, now, like I said, between the Marvel and DC, but to be expected to be expected. And now I, I come from a world of, I, I was a big magic, the gathering player uh, back in the OG days. And um, you know, right after uh, uncommon came out. So I, or Unlimited, I'm sorry, Unlimited came out. So I'm familiar with the, the draw of collectible cards and the rarity of cards and the grading process that goes on. And the value of them has just been constantly going up uh, in general. So it's not surprising to see uh, especially rare sets of Marvel cards and DC cards go for a incredible you know an increasing amount of money over time i think we just hit a perfect storm right now mm. where again we've got people who have a lot of time on their hands or have a nostalgia uh resurgence and um have have uh, you know disposable income to, to spend 
it is definitely a fear of missing out situation and it's it's something that perpetuates itself you know when a card box sells for thirty five hundred dollars you immediately scramble to find what what cards that you have and now right out to the garage to my trunk <laughs> yep did you did you have any nope uh, i i i did keep the ones that were important to me i have a set of the uh, Boris Viejo cards that I, cause I loved his art. They're not the Marvel set. They're just, you know, Boris cards. He did like a Boris collection. I have those. I have my defiant warriors of plasm uh, oh. <laughs> with the binder. Uh, uh, I like keep those. I, I love Jim shooter. I guess I'm a sucker. Let's go back to the question. Are these truly scarce? Uh, again, people sold these, threw them away Remember how they were stored back then? You had those white boxes with the dividers and you just threw the cards in there and closed it. You, maybe if you were really into it, you put them in individual sleeves. It goes back to ask ask yourself if you're if you're really skeptical about this, the way I am about the X-Force Deadpool thing, did you have them back in the day? Why didn't you keep them? Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and if you were a dealer and you had the opportunity to go to your back room and pull them out, it, you wouldn't hesitate, would you? All right. And if you did keep them, you know, and you open up that box and, you know, that long white box and look at them. Are yeah. they pristine? Are they tens? tens? Are they nines? Um, more than likely, they're just you're just, you know, used cards. The hologram cards are going for a premium for a reason. They're easily scratched. So, you know, people flip through cards. You got the hologram in there. F f you, there's scratch. So I get it. Uh, uh, is it a long-term thing? Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a little more heft to this, a little more beef to it. Uh -huh. uh, the, I will tell you, though, the scarcest cards of these, not, of these superhero cards are absolutely the 1996 Marvel Masterpiece cards by Julie Bell and my boy Bo Boris Viejo. Uh, that... Was that set was released when the market was at its absolute lowest? Cards were already out by 1996, so the fact that they even did a set in 1996 is weird. I think they had to get their recoup their FLIR investment in some way. Marvel when they were getting ready to, to file for bankruptcy, just alone the sealed packs from that 1996 set with seven cards, a sealed pack alone goes for 200 to 250 dollars. Oh, can you imagine? There, the the thing is, there are magic shops and comic book stores around the country that have these things, you know, in their display case, mm -hmm. gathering dust because people just don't keep up with the news and aren't aware of their their rising value. So, you know, it, it's it's worth a drive down to your local comic book store, you know, or magic store, and just taking a, a quick look in there in their glass case, you know, they're at the counter that every one of them has to see if you see any of these cards poking out because it's, it's definitely worth an opportunity to, to pick them up. I hear you, you know, and I have to wonder how many shops like that are still open that have seen a sudden influx of customers the last two weeks. <laughs> and I, I can't help, but feel like a little twinge of uh, looking back with a little bit of regret because I remember my shop, I had sealed boxes just sitting in the back stock, you know, because I ordered too many and God, I'd love to have those again. Remember when I, I carried the first magic cards? Yes, you did. And I and I remember I, I could make a picture in my mind being in your shop, looking at these, um, you know, these unlimited cards and going, what the hell is this game? 
And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of months later that I actually started getting into it with our mutual friend, Evan, Evan, mm -hmm. if you're watching. Um, yeah, those, those cards in general from that age, that era are just, are just what's driving, being driven by nostalgia, their value. That was around 93. It was 93. And I ordered them and nobody bought them. They sat in my display case forever. Evan finally came in and bought a few and that's where it started. And then, you know, I sold the shop. So, ah, man. <laughs> if only, if only you had, uh, if you only had put a, a case of those under the bed. I know. <laughs> in the garage. Well, speaking of memories, I think it's time to take a trip back 25 years ago via the 25 year rule. Hey, this is one I bet you don't know about. Right? No, no. I, I, I saw the title and I have no idea. I'm really interested in hearing about it. Today, we're focusing on, again, 1996 and a very cool FLIR-related premium, and that is Wolverine Special 102.5. Now, this was a mail-away premium from FLIR trading cards. There was a set of FLIR trading cards, uh, Marvel trading cards at that point, and the backs had a panel of a Wolverine story that you could assemble and you could read, but they also had a mail-away uh, comic book that reprinted these panels in comic book form and the reason why it's number 102.5 because in continuity this story counted it took place between wolverine 102 and 103 and the cover to bring everything full circle is by my man boris viejo <laughs> <laughs> the all boris edition of the podcast this week there is also get this a wizard variant of this book with a holographic logo to make it totally 90s wow and a certificate of authenticity signed by boris himself now that's what i wanted um this is a tough book it was a mail away so you had to collect the wrappers pay mail away wait for it to come in the mail pray it was packaged okay and that your postal carrier didn't hit you you didn't tip them at christmas like we told you to so as a result, there are only eight 9.8s on the CGC census and a 9.8 sold last November for $950. That is amazing. I had no idea about this book. These, these mail-away books um, are definitely, definitely hard to get in high grade just because of the way they arrive and the way they're packaged. And like you said, you know, they, they typically they would show up and your mail carrier would, you know, bundle them all along with all the other uh paper that came uh in the mail and you know you get creases and things like that in it so 9.8s i could definitely see very hard to get i mean i see these ring uh doorbell cam videos online of like <laughs> ups people like tossing packages and throwing them out the truck and i think yeah those are my comics yeah uh, every time this is a book i've never seen it i've never seen it in the wild i've never seen it at a show i've never seen it on the wall i've never seen it in a box I've never seen it. It's pretty much a ghost. Excellent. So if you have a copy of this, please <laughs> post in the post a, a comment. We'd love to see it. We'd love to show a picture of it. Uh, our next show, because yeah, it's, we'd love to, to hear the story about this book in the wild. I'm laughing because I thought you were going to say, if you have this comic, send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> you got a $20 bill in your mother's purse. You know? Do that too. Yeah. Come on. It's uh yeah, yeah, sales it. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our underrated books of the week. Richard, you start with another rerun. 
Yeah, this is this is a this is a repeat, and and I'm re- repeating it because I still see this book is is at a reasonable price level, and that is Mar- Marvel Superheroes number twenty from 1969. This is one of my signature books. This is a Doctor Doom book, his first solo appearance, separate from the Fantastic Four. Uh, this is also the first appearance of of Valeria, his his love interest. So this book is in my opinion, one of the most striking covers from a book from 1969. It is fantastic. It's green and black with Doom standing in this this uh, supervillain pose with the words or the letters Doom behind him. It is absolutely gorgeous. And for, for some strange reason, still affordable. You know, if you look at the other books from 1969, from that period, like Submariner number one, you know, there's, there's more, there seems to be more value associated with those books. But with this book, um, for the past two years, I've been picking up books, you know, Things uh, books off eBay for anywhere from fifty dollars to mm-hmm. to a high of about two hundred dollars, um, and it you know it, it's all dependent upon condition and people's knowledge of what they have, but it's still to me at two hundred dollars a nice clean copy of this book is still really undervalued yeah. because as soon as Doctor Doom shows up in the MCU, this book is in my opinion the number two book behind Fantastic Four number five. And most of the people listening to this are just not going to go out and pick up a, a copy of Fantastic Four number five because it's stupid, crazy expensive. And so this falls back to being, you know, that that book that people will start to collect. Now, uh, I got to give a shout out to the cover artist and, and the artist inside, Larry Lieber, who happens to be Stan Lee's younger brother. Larry, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Larry never got a lot of credit. He used to work a lot on the Western titles like Rawhide Kid. He did a long run on there. He was a really good uh, Kirby imitator, good Kirby clone. And he never really uh, made his own mark except for this cover. This cover is iconic. And when you sit back and you think, wow, Larry Lieber did that, that's really friggin' impressive. Yeah, it's to me, and it's 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 just an amazing cover. And it to me, this book has value simply because of that cover. Yeah. But when you look at the fact that this is really Doctor Doom's first solo appearance, Absolutely. that really just solidifies it. So, and there's a couple different ways that people are talking about him coming into uh, the MCU. You know, Black Panther two. There's tons of rumors about uh, a an adaptation of Doomor, which has him showing up and uh, fighting with uh, Wakanda. There is the Fantastic Four movie. There is a, there's just a, a number of vectors that, he, that introduced him as potentially the, the villain for the next uh, phase of the MCU. So the last fade has had Thanos for the, 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 the big villain um, in the, across multiple stories. Potentially, Doom could be the big villain that starts off in, let's say, Black Panther, and then his his arc continues for a number of movies. So we all know that Doom is coming. We all know mutants are coming. You know, there's all there's certain definitive things that are going to happen with the MCU, um, and those two things are are self. Uh, affirming, in my opinion. There have been a couple stories already confirming Doom coming to Black Panther 2. I would be very careful taking those as gospel because they're from sites that are notoriously famous for clickbait. So 
you know, I think it's going to happen, but it, I don't think any official announcements happened yet. No, there isn't. And, and it won't happen until it comes from Figgy's mouth himself, in my opinion. Yeah. So this is all speculation. And, you know, the speculation is fine because it helps you prepare for, for when that speculation becomes something solid. This book is easy to, uh, to, in my opinion, it's easy to press. It's easy to grade because you can take a look at that cover and be able to, to get a good good um estimation of its of its condition the i would not be afraid of cleaning this book the the doom letters they they get dirty really easily but they're very easy to clean with a white eraser it is a square bound book so watch for the spine the spine tends to uh collapse and by collapse i mean it 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 kind of bends to the left or right. So you'll see the the white spine when you're looking at the front of the book. Uh, the corners are something to be careful of because they will bend and you'll be able to see that crease on the corner. But for the most part, this is a pretty durable book. Oh, one last thing, spine splits. Spine splits are notorious in square bound books. And this one. 60 square bounds. And, and, you know, you say it's easy to press. I will say yes, if you know how to do it. If you don't know how to press a square bound book, don't try it. There's a way to do it where you support the spine with some backing boards that we can get into later. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. You do you do need to know how to press them because if you press them wrong, you'll end up just making that um, that worse. The glue but, melt and you, you end up with no square bound at all. And bleh. But it's a it, to me, it's a great book. If you pick it up for anywhere from 100, 150, uh, I would probably stop at 200 unless you're buying a graded book this is one of these books that came out in 1969 uh cgc's cutoff for modern books is 1975 so you are automatically falling into either the value tier or the standard tier or one of those more expensive tiers that has a longer wait so it really this is one of those books so that if you really want one I would probably recommend getting it graded. It's a little bit more expensive, but even the graded books still, I think, are reasonable. It's definitely something that uh, is an up-and-coming book as well. Last year, 2020, the high sale, I'm going to pick an 8.0 because nine point, there are only three 9.8s on the census. So it's a, it's a higher, it's a difficult book in the higher grades. So an 8.0, uh, and the high sale in 2020 was $375. Uh, 2021, which is only two months in, the high sale is already $552. So there's definitely movement upward in this book. I think you still have an opportunity to pick up uh, examples of this book at a reasonable price. I, I could see there being profit in the future as um, as this, this book trends upwards or that there's a doom appearance in the MCU or an announcement. I want to see the 9.8s. I'm, I'm not buying it. I want to see them. <laughs> How can this book exist in 9.8? Yeah, yeah. I got to see them. And also, I think you're right. If you have a copy and you've cleaned and pressed it, send it to CGC, get it slabbed. By the time uh, the Fantastic Four movie premieres in three, four years, you'll get your book back from CGC, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's another reason to buy it slabbed. If if yeah. it's it's just notoriously long right now for grading, that's, uh, that's it is ridiculous. Especially if you can't do uh, modern uh, fast track, which is the way that you know we typically try to submit books. Because you're doing here, you're doing a basically a silver age book, so you're stuck there in the value tier. And it could be value tier. I think the last I looked was like eighty three days, which it's, is just. I have <laughs> magazines that I sent. Uh, in early November that I still have not 
gotten scheduled for grading yet. Uh, CGC, I love you. I hate you. At the same time, you're hiring people. Have you hired them? <laughs> Can you get them up to speed? I know Sarasota is not the best place to live. Um, maybe move the headquarters. I don't know. I have plenty of suggestions for you. Thanks, Richard. All right. My underrated book this week is Kit Colt Outlaw, number 107. All yeah. right. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about a Marvel Western in a while. This one is just not a random kid cult pick. No, this has a crazy sci-fi story in cover. The giant monster of Midnight Valley. No, it's not a giant Gila monster. It is a giant alien that uh, visits the old West and runs afoul of kid cult and all his six shooters, I suppose. Now, this is not the first time Marvel has tried to combine the sci-fi genre with their Western books. Uh, we covered Rawhide Kid, uh, number 23, before uh, with the terrible totem. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, usually when Marvel did this, the alien or the monster always was like a fake you know, like, oh, that was old man Higgins trying to, <laughs> you know, like Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. This was an actual alien whose spacecraft crashes in the Old West and, and you know, he's being chased by everybody. And Kid Colt actually helps him repair his spacecraft and get back up to the stars where he belongs. Really? Not out of character at all for this book, I suppose. What? So the goofiness of this book makes it highly sought after for uh, certain oddball collectors like myself, uh, people that collect Marvel Westerns. This is one of the tougher books to find in grade. It's got a classic Jack Kirby cover. If you're going to have someone draw an alien in a spaceship, why not Jack? He does not draw the inside. Be aware of that. It's Jack Keller that draws the inside. So just some Kirby on the cover. The highest graded copy of this book in existence is only a 9.0. And that sold for $1,200 back in the long gone days of 2013. So who knows what that book would sell for in 2021 with wow. all craziness going on. I had a 7.5 of this book that I sold about four years ago for 500 bucks. So, and I think I had it listed on eBay for maybe 30 minutes and it was gone. Buy it now. No debate, wow. no offer. It was like somebody thought they hit the jackpot. Great. Um, I don't have one now. Wow. No, I, I know. Is it, do you have an empty like space in your heart right now? Yeah, I do because I thought, Oh, I'll go and I'll find my copy and I'll show it on the show today and, and you do a little brag, a little show and tell. And it, she wasn't there. Um, and of course my kid cult collection goes, you know, one Oh three, one Oh four, one Oh five, one Oh six, one Oh nine, one Oh ten, seven or one Oh eight. So I got to rebuy this. So forget everything I said. Nobody wants this book. <laughs> it's not worth anything. Now, was this a late book in the, the kid cult run? No, this was 1962. Oh, this wow. Was, you know, the Marvel Westerns were unusual because they had uh, kid cult and Rawhide Kid had both started in the very early 50s. As for Kid Cole, Kid Cole actually started in 1949 and ran all the way to 1979. Now, granted, half of that run was reprints, but Marvel had a presence on the newsstand when it come, came to Westerns. They didn't want to leave any genre uncovered in those days. And uh, Kid Colt was one of the most popular titles in the Marvel stable in the early 60s. It outsold pretty much half the superhero line. So it was monthly. Uh, it wasn't a bi-monthly. 
in that period where DC was actually distributing Marvel books and they limited them to eight titles a month, Kid mm-hmm. Bolt was one of those titles. So this was smack dab in that successful period for kid cult. So it's kind of funny that they would try to tinker with the formula and introduce this alien sci-fi element to it. It didn't last. But no, but I'd love to, to know the backstory behind that. I know. Did somebody, did Stan like one day wake up and say, let's have an alien. <laughs> uh, what's cool about this run. And you would like this is I believe issue 110 introduces the man in the iron mask, who was a recurring villain for kid cult kind of looks like someone else that was in fantastic four at that same time uh yeah a little dr doom action i'll throw a image up here so you can see it so that's another key that people tend to collect when they collect these marvel westerns is that issue as well so that's gonna do it this week let us know what you think is is the card thing a boom is it a bust is it still too early to tell we're really curious as to what you guys think and you can leave us a comment you can follow us on facebook and instagram bronze and modern gods you can subscribe and like this video and help us reach more people or you can just Take, take, take. How uh, You're so mean. Why don't you ever give? Uh, yeah, please let us know because we're really interested in, in your opinion, uh, especially about uh, this card situation. I never thought we would have a conversation about cards on this show. I, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, I'll tell you one thing about this hobby. It's never boring. That's true. And not, not inexpensive. <laughs> right. So we're going to find out what happens in the next seven days. Until then, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Everybody stay safe.